Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. My life has led me down the road that's so uncertain. And now I am left alone and I am broken. Trying to find my way, trying to find the faith that's gone. This time, I know that you are holding all the answers. But I'm tired of losing hope and taking chances on roads that never seem to be the ones that bring.
welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is your host, Mark Whitkin Walter, coming to you live on this 28th day of June 2016. You can find us at blogtalkradio.com forward slash the kingdom of God or nothing. We do have a chat room open there. We also have the archives at uh, the kingdom of God or nothing.com and on iTunes and podcasts. The guest call number is 516-387-1641. It's bad at audio. Um, I don't know. We'll have to get Alan on to see if... Oh, I moved the mic close to my mouth. Thank you, Kim. All right, so uh, we're going to finish up with this article that we've been reading to the remnants, which is uh, the clan of Snufferites. <laughs> uh, their followers of Denver Snuffer. He did write some real good books. I don't agree with all of the conclusions that he makes. In fact, I have found several complete, uh, like, complete errors. But you know what? Even if you're a prophet, you're still a man, and you can make mistakes. God doesn't make you into a puppet and cause your mouth to be completely taken over. So. Um, and I do believe Denver, I, I believe his claims that he has seen Jesus Christ. I've never spoken to Denver, but uh, I do believe it. I do believe, uh, like, some of his books are really good, you know, Passing the Heavenly Gift and um, The Second Comforter and all those. Uh, so, anyway, we've we read those a long time ago, though. What? Let's do it again. I hear it fine on uh, this. No, I, you're supposed to plug it in at night, Kim. Um, if, well, you, why don't you talk? And can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Talk some more. I don't know what to say, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making sure that the audio is oh, Happy me. birthday. It's, it's not happy birthday yet for another uh, 10 minutes. Oh, wait, no. It's only 11.09 here. 40 or 51 minutes, actually 50 minutes and 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> My birthday is tomorrow, so I'll be 39. So Although <laughs> I always joke with my kids that I was born in 1490. And because uh, my, my nickname uh, ever since I was young, ever since I was a teenager, has been Lazarus. And uh, I was one of the first members on LDS Mingle. <laughs> Emmett. <laughs> Emmett's like, he had nine when the Mayflower came here. <laughs> okay. Emmett. It is yours. It's it's breaking up on yours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me try and fix that. <laughs> okay. You fix it like yesterday and you can't get back on with your headset. Oh, yeah. You're muted. So anyway, I um, I chose the name Lazarus, 1977. Oh, it does. I don't know about yours, Kim. I just bought Kim a nice headset last week, and she should charge it at night when she's sleeping, like all normal people. Uh, yeah, you should charge the phone at night too. I, I charge my phone. Oh, I should charge my phone too, but I don't do that either. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so all right, thank you, Emmett and K. 
am for interrupting. I'm trying to, like, tell a story. Anyway, so I, I chose to handle Lazarus 1977 because Lazarus has been my nickname for who knows how long. Actually, 90, I think I got that nickname in 97, I think. Anyway, because uh, I'm not going to say why. Anyway, but um, Emmett's turn, turn it off. Okay. Anyway, so um, I got that nickname, and so that's what he is, 19, you know, Lazarus1977. And uh, people would always joke around with me about, you know, uh, oh, no, there's Lazarus. He stinketh, you know, because of the scripture. And so I'd joke around with them about it, you know. And so I started, like, making these or writing these short stories and telling them on uh, LDS Mingle. And I just was having fun, you know. So I come up because everybody's like, how old are you, Lazarus? Didn't you get raised from the dead and, and all this stuff, you know? <laughs> and so I'd be like, oh, yeah, I was born in the 1490s, and I was actually uh, a, an apprentice to uh, the print shop that um, was in Wittenberg, Germany. And <laughs> oh, let's see, how did it go? It's been a long time since I've told these stories. Anyway, but I knew Martin Luther, and uh, he had the 95 thesis that he wrote and mailed to the Wittenberg Chapel, um, printed, uh, and co- copied and printed, and I was one of the ones that helped work on that with on the, you know, the Gutenberg Press, because that, that came out just a little while before Martin Luther did his thing. It's probably why it was so successful in spreading... Uh, his ideas. Anyway, so um, let's see, how did this story go? It was a really good book I was writing, though, but I never finished it. So um, I married Martin Luther's daughter, Catherine, who is a real person, but she actually died when she was like three or something like that. But in the story, she lived uh, to an adult, and I uh, became Martin Luther's son-in-law. And let's see, uh, my family had been cast out of Spain uh, because they were Jewish. And um, my father, I think he died in the story. And uh, so my mother took us up to her parents' home in Wittenberg, Germany. That's how we ended up there. And I was a Christian convert who was Jewish. And my, or that, you know, and then uh, I converted to Catholicism or Catholicism. And then um, I started being a follower of Martin Luther, which I was Jewish, became Catholic, and then I followed Martin Luther, which got me and my family tied up to a stake and burned at the stake. So when I died, I was approached by two archangels, and they said, uh, you can go back, and you, uh, you can stay with your, your wife and your children, or you can go back and avenge the, your death and the death of your family. But if you do this, you will walk the earth until the second coming, when you will be translated. And you will do uh, work as, a, like, okay, so in the scriptures it says, 
be not forgetful to entertain strangers for thereby some have entertained angels uh, angels unaware strangers and angels <laughs> anyway so I was like this uh, walking around ministering angel in uh, in a translated body that uh, could not die and I would be assigned to different people like John Calvin and different reformers and I would protect them, but I didn't look like myself. And I even uh, was with Martin Luther for a time. And like, this is all detail. I wrote all kinds. It was so cool. I mean, I love this story still. And I don't even remember it. And I was writing, I wish somebody would write this. Anybody, if you want to write this book, just write it and send me some drafts because this is a seller. <laughs> anyway, so eventually um, I was assigned to. Um, can't remember his name. He was a preacher that ended up in Providence, Rhode Island. And then I got assigned to George Washington, and my job was to protect him. And something cool about George Washington, this isn't fiction, this is true. There were marksmen, or sharpshooters, that could hit the guy, I would say, they could hit the guy to the left of him, they could hit the guy to the right of him. George Washington would be standing up in battle, directing the battle, and they could not hit him because God was protecting him. And that's a true story. Well, in my fictional story, I'd be like, I was the one that was there protecting him. And all he knew was I was somebody who was a good friend of his, but he didn't know I was really an angel walking around in the flesh, right? So anyway, as the story goes, um, I helped several different people. Eventually, Joseph Smith came into to, um, being, and, and I became Joseph Smith's best friend, Orrin Porter Rockwell. As a nine, I think they met when they were nine or something like that in the Palmyra days, and uh, Manchester or Palmyra. Anyway, so then I uh, kind of went with him, and I was his bodyguard, and nobody could shoot me. And then um, I became uh, the bodyguard of the different presidents of the church. And eventually um, I had to fake my own death, and then I came back as another bodyguard or whatever. But I, I was, you know, I've been – so anyway, back in, um, in the 90s, I was growing very tired of the work that I was assigned to, so God allowed me to take time off and just enjoy my life. And so, you know, I'm doing the thing and everything, just enjoying life, going to church and, and stuff, and I, I am and end up, and now part of the deal was I'm not allowed to get married again um, until God allows me to do that. So I, God says, okay, you've done your work. Um, take a break, uh, you know, mingle with the people, enjoy people, whatever. And um, I was in this ward, and there was a woman who really liked me uh, in the story in self-fiction. Anyway, so she really liked me, and uh, she kind of like is a little bit of a snoop, and she kind of gets into my home, and she's going through all this artwork I have up in the attic, and she finds pictures of me with these famous people and paintings with me of these famous people and relics and all kinds of cool stuff. And she's like, who is this guy that has, you know, pictures from back when they were just barely making pictures with these famous people. And like, you know, she, and she kind of like realizes there's something different about this guy. Right. Anyway. So that's the story. Um, I think I was going to write a book from her perspective, 
like she finds out about him and then uh, he tells her about his life kind of anyway I'm not really good at make I mean it'd be a good story I just don't have the time to sit down and actually write it so um, so I like to joke around with my kids that I am 500 oh let me see if I was born in uh, 1490 I would be 526 tomorrow <laughs> but not really. I'm only 39. I was born in 1977. I'm completely mortal. I'm not an angel or anything like that. I don't even profess to be that. Although, if you know where I profess to be, you probably think I'm crazy. Although, there's been crazier things like uh, Joseph Smith taught that the Holy Ghost had to come in the flesh and do the same with similar course of events as the Savior did. So people should be looking forward to that. Um, of course, I know many people who proclaim to be the Holy Ghost come in the flesh. Of course, I know lots of people who proclaim to be the reincarnated Jesus Christ or the reincarnated God the Father or just all kinds of different. I actually baptized a guy who I later found out believed that he was Michael the Archangel. I flew from Philadelphia, and he asked me to baptize him. I was like, okay, sure. And so we went to the Jordan River in Murray, Utah, and uh, I baptized him with his back going uh, into the, the flow of the current uh, in a place that was about waist deep. And he was very excited about that. And the last thing I've heard from him is he's like off causing all kinds of havoc in uh, in Israel over, you know, in Jerusalem. So, <laughs> I don't have much to do with him anymore, but he asked me to baptize him, and I felt like that was, I didn't feel bad about it, so I was like, okay, sure, I'll baptize you. Anyway, <laughs> we get into these little tangents on this radio program. Um, so we are going to be reading an article called To the Remnant, uh, well, it's on tothereminent.com. I have posted the link on blogtalkradio.com forward slash the kingdom of God or nothing on today's program, which is airing on the 28th of June, 2016. If you're reading, if you're listening to this on podcasts, you can just tap on the iPod or, or iPad and you'll see the description of the program there. I've placed the link to the article on the program and I will also post it. Copy. Let's see here. I'll post it on my wall on Facebook. You can't follow me on Facebook. Most of my posts are public. The post, um, let's see here. Oh, I need a new computer screen. Okay, there we go. And I decided to send on my computer about a month ago, or actually it's been a couple months, and uh, he cracked my screen. So I've got this big wonderful crack let's see I'll make that public so uh, most of my posts are public you can uh, find the link to this pr uh, program um, that we're going to be reading tonight at facebook.com forward slash lazurus1977 that's facebook.com forward slash lazarus1977 and you can also listen to this program if you are listening live we air live Monday through Friday at 11 p.m. Utah time, and that is 516-605-1977. Uh, 
387-1641. And like I said, we do have a chat room. Open and available for people to make their comments and ask their questions. So, And also, if you're my friend on Facebook, you can also message me at any time. And I will try to answer during the live portion of the radio program or if I have time, which I usually don't have time because I have such a tight schedule, um, you know, during the day or whatever, uh, when I'm awake and actually able to type. So I drive a semi-truck for a living. Um, I work from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., and then I'm off from 6, uh, 6 to 3, and then I... Well, then I have to go, um, and then I work from 4 to 8, <laughs> and then from 8 to 10, I'm uh, spending time with my family, and then uh, eat from 10 to 11, and then on the radio program from 11 to 1 or 2 in the morning. And then I have to go back to work. It's a wonderful schedule. Anyway, let's uh, dedicate the program, and we will get into this reading. I have not read this article. I just thought it was interesting, and I thought, you know, this is something that we could read on the program, even though I don't agree with everything that Denver says. And I don't know for sure if he is a true prophet, but he claims to have seen Jesus Christ in the flesh. And I think he claims to have seen the Father in the uh, flesh as well. I'm not exactly sure. Anyway, and that's my claim, too. Back in 2003, actually, back in 95, I was caught up in the spirit to the Holy of Holies in the Salt Lake Temple. I call it the Holy of Holies. It's not the Holy of Holies. It's the highest room in the temple under the angel Moroni. Um, anyway, so I was, I was taken up into that place in 97 or 96. I converted to the church, uh, to the gospel, and then in 97, I went to the Salt Lake Temple to get my endowments because that's where that happened with the, you know, the, the spiritual uh, experience with Jesus and the father in 95. So I wanted to see, you know, was this, was this vision that I had correct? Cause I saw many other rooms in the temple. And when I went in and got my endowments, it was all the same. It was so cool. And I thought, well, I can't go into that room. Uh, the last room that I went into was just going to let some guy go up into the, you know, but, um, I just figured, well, the rest of it was right, so this must be right, too. So um, I went on a mission uh, in 97. I was out for 11 months. Um, I had uh, some really bad health problems. Uh, my lung collapsed, and I was deaf for the first three months of my mission. They sent me home. I was very upset about it. Uh, before I went on my mission, I, had a, I, got, a deg- I got my GED. Uh, when I was 16, which I like to call my good enough degree. And then I went into trade training, had job, Corfield Job Corps, and became a diesel mechanic and got a CDL when I was 18, which is a commercial driver's license. When I came home, I didn't have anywhere to go, and I got released from my mission because of that, and I still wasn't better, and it was a mess. So I went over the road as a truck driver, and for years, I I felt horrible about not being able to finish my mission, so I thought, well, you know what, God, I told you if you showed me the truth and you healed me, which he did in 97, he completely did. He showed me the truth and he healed me of all my drug addictions, uh, and I was I was a drunkard, bad, and I uh, was smoking weed and uh, smoking crack and cocaine, and it was a mess. Anyway, but I asked him if he would heal me and show me the truth. And he did. And when the Holy Spirit, after I, I prayed and asked God if, 
the Book of Mormon was true and Joseph Smith was a prophet of God, the Holy Spirit came down on me like fire and I was uh, completely healed of my drug addictions in an instant. No residue, nothing. It was all cleaned out and it burned. The Holy Spirit burned like fire through my whole soul. And so I made a promise, if you show me the truth and heal me, uh, I will serve you for the rest of my life. And so that's what I agreed to do. And so the first step is I'm going to go on a mission for you, uh, Heavenly Father. And I was out for about a year, and my body just, it was it was a mess. I had an infection in my lungs that came from my eardrums being uh, bursting on the airplane flight out to Georgia because uh, that's why I went on my mission. It's just kind of funny because I was a Baptist before I met the missionaries and they sent me to Bacon, Georgia in southern Georgia. So that was fun. Anyway, so um, I was really upset about not being able to finish my mission. So I like was like a man on fire for the gospel and I would just preach and study. In fact, as a truck driver, I didn't have anywhere to live for three or four years. Well, from 98 to 2003. And so I would spend two to $400 a month, sometimes more, sometimes a little less, on Deseret Book books, audio books, uh, single book and tape, uh, distribution center materials. I gave a lot of stuff away. I studied a lot. I learned all kinds of stuff during that time because, like, my truck was like a, a temple to me. And whenever I was unloading or loading, or I had to take, a, you know, my required breaks and all that, um, I would be either preaching the gospel on the CB radio, walking around, finding churches, talking to people, or studying, or writing about things, you know, in my journal, which I've got a lot of journals. Anyway, so um, that's kind of what I did, you know, and and now in 2003, I had been asking Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ about how how to make your calling election made sure, and what is it exactly? Um, in my patriarchal blessing that I got in '97, it, it said that I um, it says um, I still upon you the greatest gift that God has to bestow, the gift of eternal life. And so when I showed that to uh, one of my state presidents one time, he says, "Well, you know what this means? You've had your calling and election made sure." And it was like, but I was a drug addict. I was homeless. I was angry uh, as a child, especially in a teenager. Like, how could I have my calling election made sure? Like, I totally didn't understand it at all. And so um, in 2003, when I was praying and asking God what it meant, after like six years of praying and asking him what it meant, I was caught up in the flesh, and I was caught up to a high mountain to a temple of the Lord, and I saw our Father in Heaven and Jesus Christ face to face. And I embraced our Father in Heaven in the flesh. I felt his flesh. He told me to kneel down before him, 
I asked him what he was doing, and he said, I'm going to seal you up into myself. And I kneeled down, and he placed his hands on my head, and I had no idea what he was saying because when he was doing that, I was, like, completely transfigured, and I noticed when I was looking down that my body was, like, light was coming out of it. So I had this experience with our Father in Heaven, and I also... um, Heavenly Father told me to go with Jesus Christ and talk to him, and I could ask him certain questions, and I did, and he he gave me really cool answers, and um, I had that experience. Well, so I was pretty satisfied, you know, that, uh, you know, okay, well, God told me certain things back in 95 in the Spirit, I've had this other experience totally fine about it just you know I, I couldn't figure out how I fit in because no prophets or apostles like ever had my life none that I know of like no drug addicts no homeless people no truck drivers so anyway in 2004 I asked our God told me to write a letter to President Hinckley about my experience. So I did. And uh, not, sorry, he told me to write about the experience in 95 where I was taken to the Salt Lake Temple. So I wrote that experience and drew diagrams of what I saw in the room and the colors and the curtains and everything in that room, uh, which they don't talk about. Anyway, so I sent it off to President Hinckley on Monday. On a Thursday, I got a call from my state president. Uh, Thursday, like around noon, I guess. And uh, he said, well, somebody's coming to meet you on uh, Sunday, and you need to be in the sacrament room 30 minutes early, because they're going to come meet you there. And so I went. And like right before I met Elton Perry, the spirit was so incredibly strong. And he came through the door and he walked right up to me and we talked for a while about different things and basically confirmed my experience. Uh, he also gave me copies. Well, he gave my state president uh, copies in a silk manila envelope and gave it to my state president, and at the end of our meeting, he said, after this, uh, after sacrament, go to your state president, and he's waiting for you, and uh, he has an envelope for you. Inside that envelope, which my state president didn't know what it was, uh, not until 2013, I finally told him, like, 10 years after the fact, or nine years after the fact, what it was. And basically what it was was that letter they had kept copy or they had kept the original and archived it and stamped like office of the first presidency and um different stamps i guess that they when they received letters and they stamped two different archive numbers on it and then they gave me back the copies with the, you know with the stamps on it and everything and so I have the copies. Um, in fact, it's on my Facebook page. Uh, you can find the, the pictures within my pictures, but I've got like a thousand pictures or something like that. So, but it's there. 
the whole experience. I'm not going to share the whole experience. But that page that I have a picture of has a pretty good exp- – I mean, it's pretty good. Anyway, why are we getting on these topics? I go off on tangents, and it's all your fault because it was happy birthday, right? <laughs> Somehow. Anyway, so um, okay, yeah, not yet. Kim says, "All right, let's um, let's dedicate the program, and we'll read part six, and then we'll get to part seven of another prophet is now are now is sent." This was released on February eighth, two thousand and fifteen, and yeah, let's just Kim. Would you mind dedicating the program? You would mind? It hung up. Oh, here, all ready to catch? Good catch. Throw my cordless phone through the air. Let me mute myself so there's not an echo. Just unmute can, yourself. Can you hear me? I, yeah, yeah, I hear you. Sorry, sorry, hiccup. Sorry. Sorry, I'm going to hiccup more. Okay. After all this time, we'll finally dedicate it. Hmm. All right. Our Father in heaven, we come before thee this night, give thee thanks and praise and our time. We ask thee to please be with us, watch over us, and help thy spirit to teach us. We ask thee, Father, to forgive us for all of the things that we come short, fall short with in our daily lives. We come before thee now, Father, to help to be made whole again and to be able to, to learn thy ways, to learn what it is that thou would have us do. We, We want to be humble servants of thine, and we would love to be able to help bring about thy kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven, to be with thee again and help thy cause, thy purpose, and thy reign in any way that we may be able to. We dedicate this time unto thee now in the show that we might be able to help others to come unto thee, help others to understand what is going on, in the world as it is going on right now before our eyes, that we might open our eyes, awaken to the evil that is around us, that we might come out of the evil, that we might rise above and help others to also rise above, that we might not perish with evil and with others who crave evil and want evil and want Babylon to be here on the earth. We Ask these things, Father, with all of our hearts. In the name of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Prophets, part six. And then the prophet is now sent. Second Nephi 25, 17. And the Lord will set his hand again the second time to restore his people from their lost and fallen state. Wherefore, he will proceed to do a marvelous work and a wonder among the children of men. 
Yeah. Okay. If you haven't yet done so, it is important to read the other five parts of this series before reading this installment as they lay vital groundwork for what I will present here. And we have covered this from day Friday, Monday, and now tonight. No, it's rather preposterous that I'm t I'm talking on today's taking. I think it means talking. Sorry, I was just noticing I'm correcting him off mic, so he's getting weird. It says, it's rather preposterous that I am not taking on today's subject in a single blog post. There should be books, no libraries, written about God's marvelous work in our day as prophecies that have stood for a millennia that are fulfilled. So please remember, I am only giving an overview and introducing some concepts. A fuller understanding will require study and prayer. That's up to you. In my last post in this series, I close with the following. If it happens again, if the Lord does indeed call and empower another voice crying in the wilderness, in our day, will you recognize him? How? You know, and I, that quote there, it's um, something that I've pondered for years, even before I met Mark. Um, and all the people who believe they know Jesus, they knew him, they would know him. All those people who were living with him when he was there with these people, he walked, he walked, they, among, he walked them. among them. Nobody had no idea who he was because they all had their brains that knew too much. They knew everything about everything, and they said, there's no way this, this guy could be it. This guy can't be it. And they always had their reasons why he couldn't be. But before that, I'm sure they were like, oh, we would know. We would definitely know. And then all of the people here today, they're like, oh, all these people, they loved him and revered him. No, they killed him. Nobody loved him and revered him when he was very on the earth. There was, well, yeah, there wasn't very many followers. Except for the bread, uh, the bread, the fishes of the world. Oh, so, yeah, when you give free food, everybody follows you. <laughs> it's insane. But, no. Unless you give John. <laughs> yeah. So all I'm saying is that it is hard. It is difficult. It's not easy. If it was easy, then it would just be a handout and everybody would be perfect and wonderful and amazing and everybody would be exalted. That's just how it would work. You know what? Jesus says, I, I use the weak things of the world to bring forth the one mighty and strong, or to, I'm sorry, to break down the mighty and strong one. Mm -hmm. He's talking about the mighty and strong of the world. Look at John Smith. Mm -hmm. He was a 14-year-old boy a farmer boy with a third grade education and look what he did with him. Mm -hmm. So if he can use a farmer boy, you know, he can use a truck driver somehow. <laughs> so anyway, continuing, he says, well, it has happened today. I'm going to tell you about it. Act one restoration interrupted. Let's start with a very important question. Why is there a need for a return to the prophetic pattern in our day? The answer will require us to look at our history. If we want to understand where we are, it's important to first understand how we got here. Joseph Smith, Jr., prophet, born Sharon, Vermont, December 23, 1805, died Carthage, Illinois, June 27, 1844. There's a picture of that. Um, his tombstone. 
Actually, it's not his tombstone. That's that pillar that's out by Reddit. Remember? Oh, oh yeah. Back at Joseph Smith Memorial. Yeah, we've been there. <laughs> I've been there a few times. We actually go to have Girl Scout camp right near there every year. Didn't we live 50 miles north of that in, yeah. in New Hampshire? Yeah. Anyways, the Latter-day Restoration of the Gospel started in 1820 with Joseph Smith's first vision. This signaled the end of the long night of apostasy as the Lord sent new revelation into the world and sent a true messenger to teach a true message. Faithful to the prophetic pattern, the one God called was a religious outsider without title, credentials, or or worldly authority. Yet he spoke for the Lord, having received the message by direct contact with Christ and angels. New records came forth, and gospel truths long, long lost were again taught on earth. The flood of heavenly light between 1820 and 1836 was remarkable and miraculous. It is important to remember the Lord's stated reasons for the opening of this new dispensation. He said the following of the next extent of then, I'm sorry, he said the following of the then extent Christian religions. Sorry, (laughs) I'm I'm getting tongue-tied already. Um, Joseph Smith History, 1, uh, page 19. No, verse 19. Oh, verse 19. It's chapter 1, verse 19. Sorry. Joseph Smith History, chapter 1, verse 19, <laughs> says, They draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They teach for doctrines the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. End quote. There is much contained in that statement. They are religious and pious. They zealously teach the gospel but fail to actually believe in it or believe it in their hearts or live it. Or know it correctly. correctly. Um, Anyway, they have a form of godliness or a godly appearance, but they do not have the power of godliness and therefore cannot behold the faith of God and live. DNC 84, verse 22. Hence, a prophet named Joseph Smith was sent to restore missing truths and receive missing power. He beheld the face of God and told the world. From the very beginning of the restoration, Joseph sought to establish the prophesied Latter-day Zion, DNC 21, verses 7 through 8. In fact... I I just have to say something. I'm sorry. This drives me a little bit nuts because people don't understand this scripture. Joseph Smith saw the face of God with no priesthood and no authority and no ordinances. He wasn't even baptized, and he saw Jesus Christ and the Father face to face, right? So let's read this. I'm going to start at verse 16. And from Enoch to Abel, who was slain by the conspiracy of his brother, who received the priesthood by the commandments of God, by the hand of his father Adam, who was the first man, which priesthood continueth in the church of God in all generations and is without beginning of days or end of years. And the Lord confirmed priesthood also upon Aaron and his seed throughout all their generations, which priesthood also continueth and abideth forever with the priesthood, which is after the holiest order of God. And this greater priesthood administereth the gospel and holdeth the keys of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of knowledge of God. Therefore, 
and the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. Without the ordinances thereof, the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. For without this, no man can see the face of God, even the Father, and live. Now, Joseph Smith saw God the Father and Jesus Christ face to face. This isn't talking about our Heavenly Father. In Revelation chapter 1, it says, Jesus Christ, or the Lord, hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Our Father, the Father of Jesus Christ, now Jesus Christ becomes the Father through the law of adoption, through the, the, um, what he did in the Garden of Gethsemane, the atonement, but he brings us into the presence of God, the eternal Father. And you cannot come into the presence of God, the eternal Father, without the ordinances to prepare you for that. But you can come into the presence of Jesus Christ, come the Father, because of what he did, and all they who accept him become his children, even though he's our brother. And you can come into the presence of the Father, like Joseph Smith did, without the ordinances, if it's God's will. But you cannot. In fact, when I saw a vision of our, our, our eternal Father in heaven, it was from a distance, and I only saw a vision of the past. I've never seen him as he is now. But I, I believe to come within his presence would wipe away any anything that was not prepared would be completely destroyed by by his presence because it's so powerful. So this scripture right here seems to contradict what happened at the first vision, but it doesn't. If you are a prophet and you receive revelation about what the scriptures mean, because Peter said no, our scripture is not for private interpretation, which means you've got to get revelation about what it means, then you get revelation and you know what it means. But if you just try to figure it out without going to God, you know, if you lack wisdom, ask God, James chapter 1, verse 5. Well, if you don't prepare yourself, and go to God and ask him what the scriptures mean and get confirmation through the Holy Spirit that what you believe is right, then you teach the precepts of men, you know, and, you know, you don't understand the scriptures. I understand the scriptures because I've asked God as I've studied it out and I've been told. So anyway, but that's what that means. All right. Um, I, actually, I'm going to read a couple more verses. Now, this Moses plainly taught to the children of Israel in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. Now, I believe that when Moses saw Jehovah, who is not Jesus Christ, and I've explained that way too many times in the past, but basically the brother of Jared, Henry Moriankamer, saw Jesus in the spirit, and he said, Never at any time have I shown myself unto men, but Jehovah had walked as a resurrected being in the city of Enoch, in the garden, and many other times. Jesus said, This is my spirit, and I will come in the flesh in the morning of time. Jehovah walked with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He wrestled with Jacob, he showed himself unto Isaac, and he had dinner as a resurrected being with Abraham. 
as a resurrected being. Now, he was a redeemer on an older earth. People don't understand the progression of the gods either. When Jesus Christ came on this earth, he came as a Holy Spirit. He was a Holy Spirit until he came in the flesh. He became a redeemer. When he paid for your transgressions and mine and our sins and, and uh, brought us away from the fall, he became a father. He became perfect even as his heaven, heavenly father was perfect. Now on an older earth, he was a Holy Spirit or a second witness of the father. Jehovah or Jehovah was once a Holy Spirit as well. He became a redeemer. And then he became a father. When he became a father, he had a redeemer under him, just like our father has a redeemer under him. And when they progress, well, that was Michael. Michael was once a redeemer as well. Michael became the father when he he did what Jesus Christ did in this probation. He became the father. Jehovah showed him how to do certain things. Remember in the temple and in the scriptures, the Elohim, which means the Council of the Gods, under the direction of Adam Amen, who is God the Eternal Father. You can find this all in the scriptures. He sent Jehovah and Michael to create an earth. When they got there, Jehovah, who was over Michael, said, Michael, go and create the earth. And Michael said, it will be done. And then guess who did it? It was Michael who created the earth. He is the Father. When he created the <laughs> yeah, um, Kim asked me if I should talk about the stuff that's in the temple on air. Actually, all this stuff is in the scriptures, and I don't reveal the signs and tokens. That is the thing that we don't talk about on the air, and we will never talk about that on the air. That's the covenant that we have made as endowed members of the church. In fact, I'm glad you asked that because I got a big when when my friend and I when I was training my my friend how to do the run that I do. Um, we were, it was just him and I, right? We're both endowed members. Yeah, you're one friend. My one friend. <laughs> and he was like, oh, you shouldn't talk about it. It's in the temple. It's too sacred. Oh. And I'm like. But in the temple, we make covenants not to reveal the signs and tokens. We can talk about what's in Scripture. You know, this is all in the Book of Moses and then whatever. But people flip out about it. So, like, when are you ever supposed to talk about it? Well, no, we're about the temple. But then you get into the celestial room and everybody's like, we shouldn't talk here. It's too sacred. You know, so nobody talks about it. Oh, it drives me nuts. Anyway. Michael is God the creator. It says the gods created the earth. Guess who did it? Jehovah and Michael. And Michael is the creator. And in 3 Nephi chapter 21 and 22, it says that the father will come and commence work at the very end. Well, if the father is going to do that, we also know in Daniel chapter 7 that the ancient of David is the one that does that work. And in, in Daniel chapter 12, it's Michael. Michael the archangel is the one who sits upon the throne. And in Revelation, that gives the same description for the throne of God the Father as it does for the Ancient of Days in Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 12, it is Michael. He is God the creator, the father of Jesus Christ. 
but Jehovah was Michael's father and redeemer. And the and the Elohim are the council of the gods, and they are they who become joint heirs with Jesus and the Father. They're the gods. And Adam Ahmed is the one that started it all. He is God the eternal father. And when we become gods and fathers, we take upon ourselves his name and we come on an earth. So Jehovah Adam, Michael Adam, it's all the same. These are titles and offices, but Michael is a, is the name of our father, and Jehovah is the name of our great-grandfather. So anyway, I just want to read a scripture tangent there. Go ahead, Kim. Continuing on with the reading. Thank you. Mm-hmm. In fact, he tried three times to do it. The first try was at Kirtland. It was it failed, and Joseph had to flee for his life. The second try was at Missouri, and it culminated in Joseph being imprisoned in Liberty Jail and the saints being violently driven from the state. This time, the sentence of death was passed on Joseph's head, and he was only saved because his executioner refused to obey the order to execute him. The Lord, ever merciful, offered a third opportunity at Nauvoo, but only upon very specific conditions. It's important to realize that by this time, the revelation, or revelation to the church had all but ceased. In fact, only one major revelation was received at all during the Nauvoo era, D&C section 124. There were other sections of the D&C written during the Nauvoo era, but they all are all, but they are proclamations, administrative pronouncements, answers to specific scriptural questions, or recording revelations that were received much earlier. Section 124 is the only major revelation, and in it the Lord set out the terms for the saints to attempt one last time to build Zion. It says D&C 124, uh, verses 31 through 32, Uh, There's emphasis added, and I will probably read it as such. But I command you, all ye my saints, to build a house unto me, and I grant unto you a sufficient time to build a house unto me, and during this time your baptism shall be acceptable unto me. But behold, at the end of this appointment, your baptisms for your dead shall not be acceptable unto me. And if you do not these things at the end of the appointment, ye shall be rejected as a church with your dead, saith the Lord your God. End quote. Therefore, according to scripture, the saints were commanded to build the temple and given a finite amount of time to get it done. If they didn't labor with all their might and complete it in time, they would be rejected as a church. In the same section, the Lord explained why this was such a vital thing to accomplish. DNC 124, verse 28, For there is not a place found on the earth that he may come to and restore again that which was lost unto you, or which he hath taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. End quote. The Lord states in plainness that he had, by 1841, taken the fullness of the priesthood away from the LDS church, but he offered to personally come and restore the fullness if the people would offer the required sacrifice. In the scriptures, it drives me absolutely nuts that they do that. Jesus is the one talking here. 
He's telling Joseph Smith to build a temple. They don't put in section or uh, verse 27. In verse 27, Jesus tells Joseph, build a temple whereby the Most High can come dwell therein, that he may restore that which is lost or that which was taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. This is a temple to, uh, for the Father to come to restore and to commence the work of the Father to, talked about in that, uh, 30, chapter 21 and 22. See, they say, oh, this means Jesus. You need to read the scripture in context. Jesus is talking about the Father, the Most High, whereby he may come restore that which he has taken away. Go ahead, Kim. Okay. Um, dedicated space was required for the Lord to come and do what was needed. It couldn't happen in any other way, for there is not a place found on earth. Further conditions were as follows. DNC 124, verses 43 through 45. And ye shall build it on the place where you have contemplated building it, for that is the spot which I have chosen for you to build it. If ye labor with all your might, I will consecrate that spot that he shall be made holy, that it shall be made holy, sorry. And if my people will hearken unto my voice and unto the voice of my servants whom I have appointed to lead my people, Behold, verily I say unto you, they shall not be moved out of their place. End quote. Therefore, if they labored with all their might and got it done, the Lord would consecrate the spot, make it holy, and the saints would not be moved out of their place. But if they didn't get it done, here's what could be expected. And it shall come to pass that if you build a house unto my name and do not do the things that I say, I will not perform the oath which I make unto you, neither fulfill the promises which ye expect at my hands, saith the Lord. For instead of blessings, ye by your own works bring cursings, wrath, indignation, and judgments upon your heads. By your follies and by your abominations which you practice before me, saith the Lord. And the iniquity and transgression of my holy laws and commandments, I will visit upon the heads of those who hindered my work unto the third and fourth generation, so long as they repent not and hate me, saith the Lord God. I will, and I will answer judgment, wrath, and indignation, wailing and anguish, and gnashing of teeth upon their heads unto the third and fourth generation, so long as they repent not and hate me, saith the Lord your God. DNC 124, 47 through 48, also verse 50 and 52. So the Lord makes it clear, if they don't get it done, the Lord is not bound to fulfill any of his promises and will instead visit them with cursings and judgments into the third and fourth generation. That's what the scripture says. He then reiterates the commandment and its purposes. Can I say something? Of course. Thank you. Oh, it seems like we can get through this if you stop talking. <laughs> I can. <laughs> well, that's what a radio program is for. You talk, right? So, okay. Jesus Christ told them to build a temple whereby the Most High, the Father, could come to there and that he may restore that which was lost unto us, the human race, which he had taken away. Now, the people who followed Denver Snuffer because of what Denver Snuffer says believe that the Melchizedek priesthood was taken away. That there was only a place, or you have to have a temple whereby 
the Melchizedek priesthood may be restored, but Peter, James, and John restored the Melchizedek priesthood. The Father going to restore the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood, which the church still never have. Jesus said, if you do what I say, I will fight your battles for you, and you shall not be removed from your place. But they were removed from their place. He never fought their battles for them. The Mount Temple was never finished. And the Father or the Son, neither one of them ever came to the Nabi Temple. He said, if you do what I say, um, you know, but if you do not do what I say, instead of blessings, you'll receive cursings. And the curse was that they would have to wait to the third and fourth generation for the fullness of the priesthood to be restored. Moses, in one generation in the wilderness, was 40 years. They had to wait for that generation to die out for 40 years. They walked around the wilderness. Three generations of 120 years, four generations of 160 years. The curse came upon the church. Uh, I did not fight their battles for them. Joseph was taken from their midst, and he's the only one. He's, he was the Lord's anointed, and there hasn't been another Lord's anointed since. In fact, Brigham Young used to say, I'm not a prophet. I'm a, I'm a good geeky guesser, and I'm the president of the church. Joseph, uh, Brigham Young never received a visitation of an angel or a visitation of the Savior or the Father, for that matter. He received inspiration, and I believe he did receive revelation, but not thus saith the Lord revelation. Now, the curse would start to be lifted between three to four generations. Between 120 to 160 years after the death of Joseph Smith, when the curse was laid on the church. 159 years after Joseph Smith, was murdered is when I saw the Father face to face and received the fullness of the priests in the temple of God. When I was taken upon Mount Bashel, now on the city, uh, on I believe on the uh, the city or the the land of Zion that was taken off uh, off the earth. So, so this would be restored between 120 to 160 years later. Now, 2003 was 159 years. 2004 was 160 years, the end of the four generations. Now, we're waiting for this one mighty and strong to come set the house of God in order, book of section 85, the Doctrine and Covenants. In Isaiah chapter 28, it gives a sign of the coming of the one mighty and strong. Part of the sign, now not all the sign has been fulfilled yet, but part of that sign was waves heaving themselves beyond the bounds. In 2004, there was a 9.6, I think it was, earthquake in the Indian Ocean, and there was a tsunami that killed 250,000 people. And millions were left homeless, and it was the first time in my life and the first time in many of your lives when a tsunami of this size it's one of the signs of the time, and it is a sign of the coming of the one mighty and strong, who I profess to be one of them, but I was shown in a vision in 2013 that they who are mighty and strong were the generals of the armies of heaven under the direction of God, the eternal father, and the Elohim for this earth. Michael is one, Jesus Christ is one, Joseph Smith is one, I am one, Peter, James, John, 
John the Baptist as well, uh, Moses, Elisha. There, there are at least 15 that I know of, and I, I believe there's uh, many more than that, but they are mighty and strong. I am one of them. The one in section 85, I believe, is Father Adam. And I know that he's mighty and strong as well. And Jesus Christ is mighty and strong. But the one spoken of in in Isaiah chapter 28, the sign that he had uh, had come upon the earth was given in 2004, a year after I received the fullness of the priesthood from, at the hands of the Father, a year after the father, the work of the Father had commenced, as spoken of in 35 chapter 21 and 22. So. And the Snephrites still don't understand these things. But it's happened. So, and they're still waiting for somebody to show up. Anyway, go ahead, Kim. Okay. I was going to start, but I noticed the phone wasn't muted. It was muted. And again, Gloria, I stand to you. Oh, I'm sorry. This is DNC 124, verse 55. And again, verily I say unto you, I command you again to build a house to my name, even in this place, that you may prove yourselves unto me, that ye are faithful in all things whatsoever I command you, that I may bless you and crown you, crown you with honor, immortality, and eternal life. Now, lest there should be any confusion here, or here are the terms outlined by the Lord in section 124 for the saints to get another chance at Zion in Nauvoo. Sorry, this is like too small of a print. Can you read it on there? Yeah, I'll read it. Okay. All right, so this is a chart. If you build the temple in the allotted time, there was an acceptable time. Verse 55, the church will prove, uh, the church will prove yourselves unto me that ye are faithful in all things whatsoever I command you. See, this is the redemption of Zion that was trying to come forth at that time, which didn't happen at that point. Verse 28, Christ, oh, this drives me nuts. They say Christ will come and restore um, to the temple and restore the fullness of the priesthood which had been taken away from the church, which is Denver Snuffer's own, like, he's so close to right on, but it's not Christ. Jesus Christ says the Father must come, that he, he, not Jesus. Like, can they get that through their stinking head? And even when you show them this, they're like, you're wrong. Like, it's right there in Scripture. Seriously, people? <laughs> okay, so I'm going to say it the way it should be said. The Father will come to the temple and restore the fullness of the priesthood which had been taken away from, they say the church, but it's really the world. Because uh, because of the apostasy, what happened. Anyway, um, it's all part of the restoration of, of the fullness of time. So, baptism for the dead will be accepted to the Lord if you build this temple. That's in verse 31. In verse 32, the church will be accepted of the Lord, which is right. Um, verses 39 and 40, there will be further ordinances to be revealed in the temple, including washings, anointings, or anointings, washings, baptism for the dead, solemn assemblies, memorials for sacrifices by the sons of Levi, which is also part, like the law of Moses has been done away, but guess what? Before the law of Moses was ever instituted, there were still sacrifices, which are part of the restoration of the gospel on the earth. Those things are still supposed to be done. 
oracles in most holy places wherein you receive conversations. What oracles are are the word of God. Thus saith the Lord, Revelation, straight from the Father himself, not just from Jesus Christ. Statutes and judgments, the beginning of revelations and the foundation of Zion. So part of the, the, the further restoration of the fullness of time is there are more endowments than one. There are more washings and anointings than one. We have at least three endowments and at least three washings and anointings in the Church of the Living Messiah where it has been restored. This is all part of the work of the Father, preparing for the redemption of Zion, the city of Enoch, coming back down to the earth. Verse 41, the Lord will reveal things which have been kept hid from before the foundation of the earth, things that pertain to the dispensation of the fullness of times which has started coming forth. But the Sneferites are still waiting for it. The temple location will be consecrated and made holy by the Lord. That's verse 44. Verse 45, the Lord's people will not be removed out of their place, which was Nauvoo, which did not happen, showing us that the curse was placed on the church and that they did not receive their blessings, but they received their cursings. That's verse 45. You will be blessed. The Lord will fulfill his oath and, pro and promise and bless you and crown you with honor, immortality, and eternal life. Verse 55, this is the redemption of Zion, people. This was what was supposed to happen. He was giving them another chance, and they fell flat on their face. They hindered the work. What? Don't get so judgy about those people. Everybody here and everybody listening to this is falling flat on their face, too. I know. It's hard. All of us. Zion still hasn't been redeemed, but God is giving us another chance. And, and just before the, uh, the, the captivity of Babylon, he sent many prophets in the land to prepare the people. Then verse 1 of them, I am also Jake Hilton, Frederick... Um, Samuel Warren Schaefer, Joshua, Arbola, we are all sent by the Lord to prepare the people. Each one of us has a different mission, a different part of it, but we are all sent by God. If the church failed to do what the Lord had asked, in verse 55, the church will not be proven faithful to the Lord's commandments. In verse 47, there will be no place for the Father to visit and restore what was lost, the fullness of the priesthood will remain, uh, will remain lost in the church. They're twisting that again. Like I said, it was the Father that has to restore it, not Jesus Christ. They're saying Christ here. 30, verse 32, your baptisms for your dead will not be acceptable unto the Lord. Verse 32, the church will be rejected of the Lord along with the dead. And this was the rejection of the fullness of the priesthood being given to the church, I believe God still uh, has his hand in the church, or he has had it in the past, um, to spread the gospel. No other church has been raised up like the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and God has appeared to uh, many. David B. Haight, um, somebody just told me that um, James E. Faust, I don't know if I believe that, I think he's twisting things out of context. Um, I think David held a case on um, of course, that's hearsay. I know Lorenzo Snow saw him. I know that Wilfred Woodruff saw him. I know absolutely that John Taylor saw him. In, uh, in the flesh, he came to him as a resurrected being. And you know what happened? 
when John Taylor came out of the room after the Savior appeared to him, he was shining with the Shekinah glory of God, the same glory that was upon Moses when he came down off the mount after seeing God face to face. In verse 47, the ordinances will not be revealed. Also in verse 47, these things will not be revealed. Verse 46, the temple location will not be consecrated or made holy. The grounds, ordinances, charters, and words will be polluted, which has happened. Verse 47, the Lord's people will be removed or moved out of their place, which did happen. Verses 48 and 52, cursings, wrath, indignation, judgment, anguish, and gnashing of teeth upon you under the third and fourth generations, which happened. All of that happened. This is the way the Lord ordained for the saints to prove themselves faithful. This was the acceptable sacrifice that would overcome past failures. Prove yourselves faithful, build the temple, labor with all your might, and get it done in the allotted time. After two disappointing failures, I don't believe the Lord was messing around unless he's a liar and he actually expected the saints to learn from their history and do as he commanded this time. Well, long story short, the saints didn't get it, get it done. The outside walls were only up to the second story when Joseph's life was sacrificed. When he was taken away, they were only starting to build the second story of the temple. And it never was finished, ever. It never, and Jesus Christ never came to that temple, but neither did the Father. Other structures were beautiful and complete, including the Masonic Hall, numerous brick buildings, businesses, shops, mercantile establishments, the 70s Hall, newspaper offices, etc. And Brigham Young was working on the second wing of his mansion, but they did not finish the temple. They dragged their feet from 1841 to 1844. They dragged their feet. The temple was not finished. The people did not labor with all their might to make the appropriate sacrifice to God and instead instead spent their labor on other projects, building a beautiful city around a half-finished temple. The results were as follows. Joseph's life was forfeit. The temple was never completed. It was eventually deemed sufficiently complete and dedicated two years after Joseph died but it still was never finished. Jesus Christ never came to the temple, and neither did the Father to restore the fullness that was lost. This spot was not consecrated or defended by the Lord. In fact, the temple was quickly desecrated, burned, knocked down, and knocked down by a tornado. It was completely destroyed, and it caught several. It caught fire several times, and that last time, it ripped it apart. And then that wonderful tornado came along and finished the job. The people were indeed moved out of their place and forced to leave Malgo. Number six, incredible suffering, deprivation, and hardship followed the saints for many years as they crossed the plains and reestablished in the West. Number seven, like the Israelites of old, the church retained only the lesser portion of the priesthood. In Doctrine and Covenant, section 84, verses 23 to 27, it says, 
Now this Moses plainly taught to the children of Israel in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. But they hardened their hearts and could not endure his presence. Therefore the Lord in his wrath, for his anger was kindled against them, swore that they should not enter into his rest while in, their, uh, in the wilderness, which rest is the fullness of his glory. Therefore he took Moses out of their midst, just like he took Joseph Smith and the holy priesthood also, and the lesser priesthood continued, which priesthood holdeth the keys of the ministering of angels and the preparatory gospel, which gospel is the gospel of repentance and of baptism and the remission of sins and the law of carnal commandments, which the Lord in his wrath caused to continue with the house of Aaron among the children of Israel, and tell John, whom God raised up, being filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. Doctrine and Covenants 84, 23 through 27. I gotta say this too. There was a guy that was posting on LDS Last Day's Prophecy discussion the other day, and he was posting called Second Book of Commandments, which is of complete fraud, but he believes it. A lot of people do actually. And one of the it talks about uh, the thus saith the Lord Revelation that the whole or that the spirit of person doesn't come into the baby's body until the first breath of life, life, right? Don't you mean abortion's completely fine because that baby isn't actually alive? I mean, according to this false false idea, uh, this false doctrine that you know the second book of commandments we should all follow it, right? Well, right here whom God raised up, John, whom God raised up being filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. End quote. A lesser portion has continued with the LDS Church since the death of Joseph. Even our temple work, we only have a lesser portion. For example, our washings and anointings today inform us they are not the real thing, but only preparatory to the real thing. BNC section 132 informs us that all our ordinances are conditional in nature. It's all preparatory and not binding until and unless it is independently sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. There are those who claim Joseph passed on the fullness before he died and that it has passed down to today's leader. There are many problems with this assumption, but the most obvious is this. Joseph Smith translation of Genesis 14:30-31. For God having sworn unto Enoch and unto his seed with an oath by himself that every one being ordained after this order shall be and calling should have power by faith to break mountains, to divide seas, to dry up waters, to turn them out of their course to put at defiance the armies of nations, to divide the earth, to break every bend, and to stand in the presence of God, to do all things according to his will, that's a key point, according to his command, subdued, subdued principalities and powers, and this by the will of the Son of God, which was from before the foundation of the world, end quote. And you know what? When I received the fullness of the priest, I didn't realize I had it for a long time. When I had my first child, it, uh, well, that was what, 2013, Kim? Yeah, 13, right? 
so anyway, that's when I I don't know what how how it all works, but the first time God told me to or, or like told me to use this priesthood, I was driving down from Montana, driving from FedEx. I had two trailers, you know, semi truck, and they were both empty. And I came down into the Wasatch Front. Uh, I had a team coming down from Idaho, and I drove into this ridiculous windstorm. I didn't even realize until I was in it, and I was scared. I have two empty trailers. One's a pop. These things tip over really easy. I call my dispatcher, and I'm like, what's going on? He said, 70 mile or plus an hour windstorm for the next five hours. Find a place to, to go under an underpass. Don't knock the trailers over. You know, you'll get fired if you do. And so I hang up from him, and I'm like, oh, you know, God, what am I going to do about this? And he said, command the wind to be still. And I said, okay. And he said, command the wind to be still using the power that I have given unto you. And I said, okay. So I, I pulled over. I raised both my arms to the square, and by the authority given to me of the Father, I commanded the wind to stop, to cease. Now, keep in mind, this windstorm was, was projected by uh, the National Weather Service to go on for another four hours. I commanded the wind to stop. Immediately started slowing down. Within five minutes, it was a light breeze. And all that dust that was up in the air, it was being kicked up by the wind because it was, it was a pretty bad windstorm. All that dust within 10 minutes was gone. I got excited because this is the first time I've ever used the fullness of the priesthood in this way to command the elements. And I got excited, and I told, I called Kim, and I'm like, you're never going to guess what I just did. Well, she, in the meantime, it wasn't as bad down where we live in uh, Utah County. And at the time, we didn't have a vehicle. Uh, I, you know, I drive my semi-truck, but we didn't. Our van got, did it get stolen? Because it broke down at that time. Because eventually it has broke down. Anyway, so she like goes out with the stroller and and the two kids and the baby and walks down to the grocery store. It's this nice blustery day, not too bad. Up where she's our down where she's at. What's that? That's why we went for a walk. Because it was nice. Yeah, because well, in this weather it's dry heat. So when it's hot. It's hot, you know. It's like dry, and you get sunburned. This is in August. Yeah, but and I, I'm not used to that because I'm used to New England weather, so I'm used to like humidity and stuff. Anyway, so it was really nice because it was so windy, and it was like 80 degrees. Yeah, like this is great. This is like awesome. It's hotter than 80. I know it's probably like 90, but. Yeah. But to me, it didn't seem like it because I'm used to humidity heat. So she goes in the store. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, while she's in the store, I'm like commanding the wind to stop. She comes out of the store, what, 20 minutes later? Yeah, and there was no wind at all. It wasn't even like a little bit. Yeah. It wasn't even like a little bit. Like it could have been like a little bit of wind. Like a little bit, like it would have been nice. (laughs) Like at that point, I would have settled for even having a fan or something on me because I was just like so hot. And. And so we're we're walking back home, which seems to take, you know, a longer time Forever. because it's so hot. And I get to the top of this little hill that we got pushing the stroller with the baby and the groceries in it, too, because we stopped the store. Anyway, so 
he's all excited and he's calling me and I'm like, <sighs> I'm out of breath and I'm like, this is so hot and I'm sweating all over the place and I'm like, this is nasty. Why did we do this? And he calls me and he's like, you know what I'm doing? I just did. And I'm like, okay, I'll sit here and listen to him for a few minutes so that way I can just rest. And then he told me what he did and I was like, Seriously, you couldn't have just waited 10 minutes so I could get back home sure before? I just would have waited 10 minutes for my trailers to tip over. Right. Well, it's not about me. <laughs> Stop it. Okay, the point that I'm getting to is after this, I'm like, I wonder what else I could do. And it, there was still overcast, right? And I was like, uh, I commend the clouds to go away and for it to be a nice sunny day and then it happens, right? Because it's you're an idiot. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, what? And then so my aunt finds out about this because I tell her about it and she's all, can you make it rain here? <laughs> she lives up by Preston, Idaho and there was a drought. Their reservoir was dried up. There was no irrigation for the for the canals and no water for the pastures for the cattle to feed. And they didn't have any money. And so I said, okay. And I prayed and I asked God to make it rain. Now this, I didn't command the rain to come. I asked God to make it rain. It sprinkled every morning uh, till the afternoon, just light sprinkle for three weeks straight. It filled up the reservoir, the meadows to all turn green again, and their cattle had food. Meanwhile, in Fort Collins, Colorado, rain for three weeks straight and in Denver and in Albuquerque and part, uh, portions of Utah it flooded for three weeks straight. The, the governor of Colorado said of the Fort, um, Fort Collins uh, flood this kind of flood happens once in a thousand years. So I'm working for FedEx, right? I get a load going from North Salt Lake to the Denver Terminal. I get out there, and I'm standing in three feet of water at the terminal. Like it was flooded, right? Now, it's, it's not as bad for docks because docks are as high as trucks, so it wasn't flooded in the warehouse, but you're waiting around in three feet of water, dropping your trailer, you know, and all that. And I was like, this has got to be so I lifted my arms to the square and I commanded that the rain stop and it stopped. It stopped that day. It took three days for that flood to drain out, but it stopped that day. And I've used the fullness of the priesthood to do other things, but this is one of the signs or one of the fruits of somebody who has the fullness of the priesthood. Um, those who have the fullness do these things. They do not or don't have to do them all, but if they do any of them, it is evidence of the fullness. Who does them today? Those who claim to have the keys and the fullness do no such work. Adrian Larson has no idea who I am, and no, neither does Denver Snuffer. So they don't understand that the priesthood has been restored, the higher priesthood. Also, the higher priesthood is not passed from man to man, but must be given by God. But the Melchizedek priesthood can be passed from man to man, but the fullness of the priesthood is given by God either. Genesis chapter 14, 29 through 28 and 29. Genesis, uh, Joseph Smith translation. 
it being after the order of the Son of God, which is a which order, not by man, nor by the will of man, neither by father nor mother, neither by beginning of days nor by end of years, but of God. And it was delivered unto men by the calling of his own voice, according to his own will, as unto, unto as many as believed on his name. So in order to receive this fullness, you have to receive the key to receive the fullness. You do have to be ordained by somebody holding the Melchizedek priesthood. But then God is the one who opens that fullness of the priesthood up so that you have it as well. And everybody who is part of the redemption of Zion will have this fullness given unto them. And the only one that I know of at this time has this. But I, I know that God is going to give it to others. Continuing on with this reading, this is very different than what we pass from one man to another uh, by vote in all and will the will and action of men in the church today. Okay, so he's talking about the keys. <laughs> to, so to summarize, the Lord in plain English said that He took away the fullness of the priesthood, and it's in plain English. So I don't know why they keep on saying it's Jesus. It's in plain English. Jesus is talking about the Father, whereby he may come dwell. Like, I hope there's snuff rights listening to this program so they can get in their little head and go back and look at the scriptures and have the blinders taken off of their eyes and actually see what the scripture says. Now, according to them, there is no record of him ever bringing it back. Joseph, who held the keys was killed largely due to the actions of the current and former church members. The church was driven from Nauvoo, suffered incredible hardship and fundamental fundamentally changed in many ways. So like, all right, so John the Baptist was an Elias to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah, right? And many people followed after John the Baptist. And in fact, even after Jesus had started his ministry, people still followed John the Baptist. They did not realize that there was another Messiah or a Messiah in their midst. No idea. And in fact, when John the Baptist was in prison, even John the Baptist sent some of his disciples who still followed him. They didn't just stop following you know, John the Baptist, they still, and they didn't follow Jesus, but these disciples sent by John the Baptist came and they asked Jesus, are you really the one that should be sent? Even after John the Baptist saw what happened and baptized him and said, I must decrease and you must increase, he still continued with his discipleship, all right, with his disciples. And, oh, Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days. Nobody knew what happened to him, you know. Where did Jesus go? Like he was here, he got baptized, and he disappeared again, right? <laughs> well, this is the way it is with Snuffer, with Denver Snuffer. There are many, they don't understand that the fullness of the priesthood has been restored to the earth today. They have no idea. They're still waiting for it, and it's already happened. <sighs> The church was driven from Nauvoo, suffered incredible hardships, and fundamentally changed in many ways. Act two, three or four generations. 
So now they don't understand this either, but we'll read what they have to say. The Lord pronounced the Lord's pronouncement that the fallout of failure would last until the third and fourth generation is an interesting timetable. The Lord, for good reasons, requires a certain amount of time to pass before another opportunity is granted. This is in part to ensure that not only those who fail to obey will pass from the scene, just like with the children of, uh, in, of Israel, you know, with Moses in the wilderness, but also all those who knew them or were directly influenced by them will also be cut out of the picture and unable to pollute the next attempt. Another opportunity requires a fresh start. Absolutely. And it's the Church of the Living Messiah, the School of the Prophets, which the Father commanded me to organize, which is the work of the Father. During the intervening years between 1844 and today, much has changed in the movement Joseph Smith founded, including altering, ignoring, and suppressing, and neglecting what Joseph Smith taught. Absolutely, they've changed the ordinances, and they have changed the, the, the gospel, and we've talked about that program. And attributing entirely new words to Joseph that he never taught, and that is absolutely true as well. In summary, since Joseph, uh, the death of Joseph, light has continually diminished, and truth has been lost. But the LDS Church, all while calling itself Zion, has become a massive, wealthy corporation run by financial interests, lawyers, marketing uh, experts, and middle managers, but largely without the gift of prophecy or stewardship. Now, I want to go real quick to a revelation. Uh, I posted this on my wall. This is not known to many people, but I'm going to read it right now. This is revelation given in our day, not in the 1800s. This is new revelation. Thus saith the Lord, it is that the evil one desireth through false administrators who have hijacked my church and led many astray to contradict former revelations which even angels of glory are forbidden, neither can they do, saith the Lord. And anything which doth not teach men these things, even to believe in me and my words exactly as I have spoken them through the mouths of my servants, the prophets of Israel, Yea, that which also doth not edify and thereby not testify of me, the life and the light of or the life of the world and the light thereof, even Jesus of Nazareth, who speaketh unto thee, O man, is of that evil one and is darkness and produceth despair. And my word, it is not or it is not also quick, or is it not also quick and powerful to the cutting asunder of both joints and marrows. Therefore, it is given unto you to judge that ye may know of me, even the author and finisher of your faith, whom the world in its wickedness hath not known, even Jesus of Nazareth. And if ye call good evil and evil good, ye are no better than them that cast me out, even as a thief and a robber and as a vagabond without a home. For did I not cause it to be written that foxes have holes and birds have are birds' nests? But it was that the Son of Man had not where to lay, even to lay his head. Even I, the firstborn and most intelligent of all the spirits, which were begotten of, uh, by the Father thereof. 
And thus it was a requirement that I, even I, Jesus the Christ, descended below all things, even that my people, the Jews, become my persecutors, that I might do the will of him who sent me, who is greater than I, even the Father, that none might have excuse concerning the difficulty of the way at the great and last day. Even so, I drank out of that bitter cup. And then he cried mightily unto him who has sent me, who sent me, that this cup might pass even from me. Yet I, the Lord God, bowed my head and suffered that his will, who is mightier than I, yea, even my Father, who revealed himself unto me in that day, that even his will should be done, even unto the shedding of my blood in great drops upon the ground, upon which men stand to this or to this day in um, sorry and i will that all rich and poor come unto me through my servants and drink from that well of living water and he that receiveth my servants receiveth receiveth me saith the lord god of israel remember all powers and you can find this in Doc, uh, in uh, daniel chapter 12 it's prophesied that this would happen where uh the man clothed in linen scatters the power or the priesthood of all the holy people, which is the saints. This, it's in Daniel chapter uh, 12. You can go read this. Remember, and it happened in July of 2010. It's already been fulfilled. Remember, all powers and conferrals, priesthoods, or offices where are hereby done away in me, and one, even one remaineth, that ye must receive your salvation and ordinances and conferrals from him who is appointed and anointed, and any counsel or the effects thereof are hereby annulled, saith the Lord, that ye may know that I am the Lord your God, and swear with an oath, and will not repent, saith the Lord, that ye shall not enter into my rest, except it be through my servant whom I have appointed. And I meant that. And when I, the Lord God, did speak unto my servant Joseph, that it should be that no man should be appointed to receive revelations and commandments, excepting my servant Joseph, I, the Lord God, did provide that he should abide in me. And as long as he should abide in me, saith the Lord, then it was that he should be the one empowered to speak in my name and as moved by, upon by the power, by the Holy Ghost. Emmett, why do you have all that on that computer screen? I don't care. I I still look over and I still want to see it. You closed it all? Okay. Sorry, Emmett's supposed to keep certain things on the computer screen, and he decided to close it all because... I don't know why, because he just thinks he can do whatever he wants. Anyway, and my servant Joseph said, the Lord did abide in me even unto the end. And how much greater, saith the Lord, is my servant Joseph in mine eyes than those whom ye sustain to be your presidencies. He is talking directly to Ephraim. For the powers of the priesthood are inseparably connected with the powers of heaven and may not be controlled nor handled except upon the principles of righteousness that the Lord God, and if it should be that the presidencies of my church, said the Lord, should fall into transgression, then they also shall not have power to speak in my name for the welfare and the benefits of my saints or the members which comprise my church, saith the Lord. For is it not written that I, the Lord your God, even Jesus of Nazareth, did say, in, uh, say while in my power among the Jews, 
that if thine eye which seeth for thee, him that is appointed to watch over thee to show thee light should become a or become a transgressor and offend thee, pluck him out. Meaning get rid of him. And you know, and it is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. He's talking about the church. It did not speak unto my servant Joseph concerning the manuscript of the book which he had been called upon to translate that although a man may have many revelations and have power to do many mighty works, yet if he boasts in his own skin, sets it not the counsels of God and follows after the dictates of his own will and carnal desires, he must fall and incur the vengeance of a just God upon him. Anyway, you can find the full account of that at Latter Day uh, Latter Day Kingdoms, or I'm sorry, Latter Day Kingdom. Webs.com. So it's huge. The revelation is huge. I can only read a part of it on this program. I take, I could read the revelation for three hours. It's so huge. Uh, and all the revelations. There are so many revelations coming forth right now. Um, just a lot. There's, there well, they've come forth, um, but. You know, it's a lot of a lot of reading material. Anyway, let's get back to Denver Snuffers group. We don't completely understand, but that's okay because you're probably hearing it for the first time yourself, right? Let's see. During the intervening years between 1844 and today, much has changed in the movement Joseph founded, including altering, ignoring, suppressing, and neglecting what Joseph Smith taught and attributing entirely new words to Joseph that he never taught, like Section 110. There's a lot of that that isn't even in this journal. It was uh, it was written in the third person, and finally, they decided to write it in the first person. Joseph didn't do this. The church did it. And they now they pass it off as Joseph's experience. And it never happened. There's other things, too. Anyway, in summary, since the death of Joseph, light has continually diminished and truth has been lost. But the LDS Church, all while calling itself signed, has become a massive wealthy corporation run by financial interests, lawyers, marketing experts, and middle managers, but largely without the gift of prophecy, seership, or revelation, and that's probably that's why I wrote that, or that's why I read that revelation, because these men have hijacked my Savior's church. They have hijacked it. Businessmen, um, scornful businessmen, prophets that do not prophesy, prophesy, revelators that do not revelate, and um, prophets that don't prophesy. Um, Seers don't see, right? It's like B.H. Roberts said from the conference uh, back in the, I can't remember, the 30s or something. Thank you, Emma. But the Lord ever hopeful has persisted with the LDS church as well. Like the Israelites of old, even in their lesser portion, the LDS people have been reorgan or have been recognized and led by the Lord as a patient offering ample opportunities for repentance and return in the intervening years, both personally and institutionally. Wow, we're not going to get done with this. This is going to have to be a part two program. The first generation passed and Zion didn't come. Likewise, the third generation, the, uh, the second and the third, the fourth generation from Hiram, the patriarch was Eldridge G. Smith. 
this is good stuff right here, Emeritus Patriarch to the Church. He was Hiram's grandson, and he died April 4th, 2013, at the age of 106. When he died, and remember, in July of 2013, God told me to raise my arms to the square and to sever the ordinances of all the holy people. So this this correlates with that. And I didn't even know who Eldridge G. Smith was at the time. When he died, interesting, he was the oldest man in Utah. And passing of, uh, passing of Patriarch Smith, Hiram's direct descendant and holder of the patriarchal authority, marked the symbol- symbolic and literal passing of the fourth generation and the opening of a new opportunity to continue what Joseph Smith started. Okay. Also, he was the patriarch over the whole church. They didn't call another one. That office has been done away by these wolves in sheep's clothing. God called another one. His name is Samuel Warren Schaefer, and he is a prophet, seer, and revelator, and he has he has been ordained as a patriarch for the church. God did call another one. The church refused to call him, so God did. Anyway, the opportunity is here again. Act 3, restoration renewed. So, And so we come to a prophetic pattern. Joseph Smith said in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 375, it is in the order of heavenly things that God should always send a new dispensation into the world when men have apostatized from the truth and lost the priesthood. So that's true, but... There's so many places where it says that the last dispensation is Joseph Smith's, right? But what people don't understand is the millennial generation, the terrestrial generation that is coming upon us now, that's a dispensation. The last dispensation of the celestial order of this earth, that's Joseph Smith's dispensation. But as we go into the actual restoration and Zion's redemption, which will bring in the millennial reign and the redemption of Zion, that is the terrestrial, and that has dispensations as well. So that last dispensation thing that they talk about, well, Joseph's the last head of the last dispensation. Well, Joseph also taught the Holy Ghost will come in the flesh and be upon the earth. Does he get a generation or a dispensation, or is Jesus above? I mean, not Jesus, a Joseph above him. Joseph was sent by the Lord to restore many truths and to lay the foundation so that Zion could eventually be redeemed. But as we pass from the celestial order of this earth into a terrestrial order in the millennium, there are dispensations beyond that last dispensation of the celestial earth. According to our scriptures, the LDS church has lost the fullness of the priesthood many, many years ago, and the restoration of the gospel effectively ended incomplete in 1841. That's not true either, because they were given the revelation in 1841 to build the temple and all of that, the curse started in 1844 when Joseph was taken. That's when it effectively ended. 
the church then endured the the Lord's wrath and a lesser light for the required four generations while failing to realize the predicament at hand or the meaning of our history. Those empowered a narrative that made the LDS people a chosen, special, and utterly unable to be led astray, which is false doctrine, all while claiming Joseph Smith's titles, but utterly failing to demonstrate Joseph's gifts. The charade has been monumentally effective, convincing otherwise intelligent and thoughtful Mormons to believe what is clearly unscriptural or not true. But the charade, like all falsehoods, will eventually end. And that's why there's a great uh, many people leaving the church because they're, they're seeing the lies. They're seeing the lies that this organization has has put out. And if you don't know about them, you haven't been studying because if you, if you actually read some books and study it and get revelation for yourself, you would understand just how far off the church has gotten from the restoration that Joseph Smith brings. According to the Lord's prophetic pattern, prior to the coming destructions, we can expect that an authorized servant will again be sent with a message of repentance. Oh, man. Okay, so in section 85, it says, I, I the Lord God, Jesus, will send one mighty and strong, uh, holding the scepter of power in his hand, and clothed with light for a covering, uh, to set the house of God in order, Right? Right? It says that, right? So the house of God would get out of order, section 85. Right after that, it says, While that man who was called and appointed stretches forth his hand to steady the ark. So there was another one that God called to send. This is an Elias, right? This, this guy comes to prepare the way. He stretches forth his hand to steady the ark. And he's destroyed by the vivid shaft of lightning. Denver had better be careful that this does not apply to him because these prophecies can apply to more than one. And even though Heba J. Grant was destroyed by lightning and even though a curse came upon Spencer Kimball, this could be applied to him if he's not careful. If he thinks that he can steady the ark of God without the fullness of the priesthood and without the keys and authority given to him by God himself, the Father, not the Son, if he thinks that he can steady the ark, he had better be careful. And I've sent him uh, emails that he refuses to reply because I'm just probably a crazy person. Because these guys, they, they get it in their head and they get lifted up in their boasting pride and they cannot be, uh, they cannot just, you know, walk with the other prophets and actually have one goal in mind for Zion's redemption. We have one heart and one mind. They think, well, I'm the prophet now, so I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do. And I don't understand how these people can be like this because it's such a monumental task. Why don't they want help? You know, if God is going to, just like in the days before the uh, Babylonian captivity, he sent many prophets. In today's, in today's day, he has sent many prophets. So why are we so scattered still? I just don't understand. And yeah, there's things that I've been wrong about, and there's things that Denver's been wrong about. Jake Hilton's wrong about some things. Well, we all have. 
things we're still learning. All of us are still learning line upon line. We have not had the veil removed from our mind completely. We are just like Jesus Christ. It said that he learned by the things which he suffered, and he learned line upon line. Well, guess what? He was the savior of the world, and he still had to learn. We're all mortal men and women. There are apostles who are women as well. But we're all root up. You know, we need to cling to God and to hear what the other prophets are saying. You know, we can be, we can help each other. Why do, why does it have to be such a, a hard thing for, for Ephraim to understand? I just don't understand it. We can expect such a man to arrive from outside the LDF hierarchy without credentials, title, position, or earthly authority, but with a message from the Lord. To messenger, to boldly declare he has been in Christ's presence and been given the words to speak. We can expect him to speak the words of eternal life. And true to God's pattern and right on time, such a man has arrived. Oh, strives me nuts. Okay, I'm just going to read it. His name is Denver Sniffer. Because God will only send one. And Denver doesn't claim to be the one mighty and strong. He says, well, the one mighty and strong needs to do the work and then we'll follow him. But when the work is being done, he still doesn't show up, you know. But anyway, Adrian Larson is writing this article, and he doesn't know anything about any of these other prophets that God is sending, and he doesn't know about me, so let's just read it. His name is Denver Snuffer, but that's only important so you can identify him and his message. He'll be the first to tell you he is otherwise unimportant and insignificant. Here is his story. Brother Snuffer was raised a Baptist in Idaho. Hey, I was raised well, I was raised a Baptist from not all my life, but anyway, he knew of the LDS church but had no interest in it. Same here. Eventually he joined the Air Force and found himself in New Hampshire. Well that's interesting. I was an Air Force brat and I found myself in New Hampshire too. <laughs> Where a chance encounter led him to bring uh begin meeting with some missionaries. After a lengthy investigation, he joined the LDS Church and became a faithful member in 1973. So he's a lot older than me. <laughs> he lived a typical LDS life, serving in the church, marrying in the temple, raising a family, and establishing his career. He's a lawyer, by the way. He tried to take the gospel seriously, though, and studied it incessantly. He, his life presented him with many experiences, including a heartbreaking divorce. He was in in most ways, a pretty, pretty typical Mormon, and by his own admission, not the best example. But he believed the scriptures. He believed Joseph Smith. He believed Joseph Smith, who taught to, uh, that to receive the second comforter, that to receive the Lord Jesus Christ literally in the flesh, and I absolutely agree with that, continuing, because he believed in uh, such thing was possible. He sought it with diligence. In February of 2003, oh, this is awesome. I didn't know this because this is right around the time I was caught up and saw the Father and Jesus in the flesh. <laughs> it was freaking awesome. I think it was in March or April that it wasn't in February. He received what he sought. He met Jesus in the flesh. The Lord came to him and ministered to him. 
He does not talk about this, the content of that visit, but he does testify it did happen. It is Israel, just as the scriptures say, he has met with the Lord um, or his messengers on multiple occasions since then and has been taught by them. So this is, this is really interesting. I know, I know, I know Emmett. We have 60 seconds before the live streaming goes off. If anybody wants to continue listening, the phone number is 516-387-1641. So anyway, um, let's see here. Okay, so before I was told in 2013 to boldly declare my witness. I didn't talk about these things either. Uh, in fact, there's a YouTube video that I did a long time ago where I talked about it, but I talked about it in the third person because I didn't want people to know it was me, but I wanted people to know that these things still happen. God lives. I wanted people to know that, but I was like, oh, it's too sacred to talk about. I shouldn't talk about it, so I didn't. I mean, I did in the third person, and I, but I I wasn't bold. But when God told me to be bold with my testimony, guess what? I'm bold, and you can hear about the whole experience. And and I've talked about it on this program many times, and it's written down for people to read as well. Uh, in fact, you can go to YouTube. Um, I think if you type in God is my compass on Mark Lipton Walter, you can find my YouTube videos. But there are a link to my uh, my Facebook wall, and you can find them at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S-1977. And I talk about a lot of stuff on the YouTube videos, so uh, if, if you don't want to read. But one result of receiving the second comforter was that Brother Sneffer was asked by the Lord to write the book so others could follow the same path into the Lord's presence. That book, published in 2006, is titled appropriately the second comforter conversing with the lord through the bell it's a good book others have read this book follow the path of outlines and received the second comforter that's cool i didn't know that um but why not right uh, in fact the fact that the curse and this this too is something that denver doesn't realize the curse began to be lifted in 2003 that's when the curse began to be lifted. So he had this experience in 2003. Now others are having it, right? That's because the curse has begun to be lifted from the world, in fact, the church included. And these experiences are happening. The first, uh, I first read this book in 2011. It changed my life in a permanent, uh, permanent and significant ways. Brother Snuffer kept writing books on gospel topics and published six additional books for a total of seven through May uh, 2011. Most of his books focused on expanding scripture. They were powerful, profound, and were written from a faithful LDS perspective such that they didn't cause much controversy. But that changed with his eighth book entitled Passing the Heavenly Gift. This book took a step of looking at the LDS history through the lens of scriptural prophecy. In other words, since our scriptures contain ample prophecy about our day, including specifics about followers of Mormonism, why not look at our history in light of the prophecies about us, rather than uh, evaluating prophecies in the light of the vain things we tell ourselves about our own history? 
and this got him <laughs> this got him into trouble anyway. This approach shows our history not as a unbroken string of successes in the Lord's work, but rather as a litany of repeated failures to receive that which has been offered by God. Very much like the history of nearly every other dispensation of the gospel, the children of Israel are in um, applicable parallel to the uh, to the LDS people. Brother Snuffer's approach was to start with prophecy and then examine our history to see how it fit, rather than the usual approach of starting with self-congratulatory assumptions and then explaining how we are chosen and special and the prophecies all apply to others. Needless to say, his approach caused quite a stir, leading to the ultimate tomatum from the highest levels of the church that Brother Snuffer removed the book from publication or face excommunication. So basically, the church is like, you got to burn your books, Denver. You know, oh, wait, who else did that in history? Oh, it was the Catholic Church. And every other uh, totalitarianism uh, system out there does the same kind of crap, right? About this same time, Brother Snuffer announced he was starting a lecture series speaking on the topic of Zion over the course of 10 lectures inside a year. Through this lecture series was conducted completely, though this lecture series was conducted completely outside any LDS property, delivered at no charge to the public, and paid for at Brother Snuffer's own expense, actually love that fact, the LDS Church nevertheless included it in its ultimatum that Brother Snuffer must cancel his lecture uh, series or face excommunication. So Denver Snuffer was basically told by God to do this, and then the church said no, and so that was his test, right? Are you going to do what I tell you to do, or are you going to sacrifice your membership in the church? Let me tell you, just because the church unrighteously does these things does not mean God rejects that person who's been excommunicated. It was after my excommunication that I was able to, or that's after, after I, was, I, I received my excommunication from the LDS church, was when I... Uh, brought a woman back from a terminal disease, back from the brink of death. In fact, she was not breathing, and an ambulance was en route when her mother told, asked me if I would pray for her, and I commanded those angels who I have charge over as the second witness of the Father to go and heal her. And when I said amen, she breathed again. And when the ambulance got to the hospital, and they could find nothing wrong with her because she was healed completely, It was after my excommunication that uh, that the wind was going to knock my trailers over and God told me to command the wind to stop, and I did it using the fullness of the priesthood, and it was done. It was after my excommunication when, uh, when my aunt asked me if I would please ask God to make it rain, and no, I did not command it. It was done. But after three weeks of continuous flooding, in, in Fort Collins and Denver, when I got there, I was standing in three feet of water. I commanded the wind to stop, and it was done. And all of these things, and I've healed other people with chronic illnesses. Now, not everybody I lay my hands on is healed. Okay, I'm just going to put that out there right now. But there have been many. There have been many. 
and uh, and not everything like I've commended the wind to stop, right? And it wasn't done, but it wasn't necessary. It wasn't God's will, and there was no danger, even though I maybe I thought maybe there might be, but God knew better, you know. Just a man, I do have the fullness of the priesthood, and and God still recognizes me as His servant, even though they have cast me out of His church. And Denver Snuffer is the same. God still recognizes him as his servant. Even though some things he says are clearly not right. But guess what? I'm the same way. There's been things that I have have thought in the past, and eventually the Spirit says, well, uh, no. (laughs) You know, and... And then reveals to me the truth about it, and I'm like, it's like getting hit with a two by four, and I'm like, how did I not see that? I'm like, what the, like, what were they thinking? You know, God does that; He corrects us. Um, but we need to be able to be corrected as well, so not to be so high-minded cause, just because we're prophets. Anyway, during the course of interactions with church leaders, the book Passing the Heavenly Gift was read by members of Brother Sneffer's local leadership, the 70, and the Quorum of the Twelve, all who rejected it. One of the Twelve insisted that Brother Sneffer's stake president take action and excommunicate him, which is against, it's against the, the bylaws of the church given by God to interfere in the stakes. Oh, it drives me nuts. Anyway, so he was cast out of the church in September of 2013. Having been a member of the LDS church for 40 years, the decision was announced the day of his first lecture. No, you may not, Emmett. You do not close the studio. I don't care if you don't want to look at it. You keep it up on the screen. He delivered his uh, lecture series speaking at 10 different cities, um, I personally attended nine of those lectures and found them deeply insightful, filled with light and truth. I listened to them. I never attend, I've never met Denver, but I've listened to them as well. And a lot of what he says is really close to right on, but there are some errors as well, like I said. Um, but anyway, like the man, like an Moses, who Jesus Christ says, I will send Jesus. Or Denver's like, well, that's only Jesus, right? Well, he just doesn't understand that Jesus said he would send a man like unto Moses. So, but Jesus also says he is a man like unto Moses, so it's a little confusing there. But titles and offices, same name, different people, right? The purpose of all the lectures was to remind us and help us appreciate that the Lord gave the, uh, what the Lord gave the world through Joseph Smith. We can't expect the Lord to give more until we take seriously what he has already been given. Brother Snuffer stated explicitly in his lectures that the content of what he shared, um, that the content of what he shared and the scriptures he discussed were uh, delivered personally to him by Jesus Christ. And I just don't understand that either. Like he, probably, Jesus probably told him to, to talk about certain things, but when Denver expounds on things and he's wrong about those things, that is like, it's like seriously, the, the lecture series is really, really long, right? God did not tell him every word to put in his mouth 
you probably gave him topics to talk about. I don't know. I'd have to talk to Denver in order to know. I therefore conclude that this makes them proxy true or false. There is indeed fruit to examine. So what does it mean? At this point, if you're not already familiar with this narrative, you likely have a lot of questions. I'm going to try to address them, but I first want to give my interpretation of the out loud. In so doing, I want to reiterate that I express here is my own thinking. Anyway, I do not speak from Emerson. Frankly, he is not like likely comfortable that I'm talking about him at all. But the events unfolding right now before our eyes, our eyes are too important not to mention. I keenly feel my inadequacy to declare this message, but I also know that the Lord has asked of me, so I'm doing the best I can and counting on the Lord's help. His message has changed my life since I see these guys listening directly to the prophet. You know, they're doing the same thing follow the prophet. They should hear the prophet. A true prophet helps people to come to God and Jesus Christ and get revelation for themselves, right? Well, Denver, I think he does this because he, like, he doesn't want to be the leader because he knows that he's not the leader, but God has given him a message. Like, he gave me a message, just the message. And others of us, you know, we see humble enough to realize that. You know, he needs to declare the message the best that he can, and hopefully not screw too much. Anyway, Denver's message has changed my life since I began reading his books, blogs, and lectures. I have been filled with light and truth, cooking by the Holy Ghost and drawing much closer to the Lord. I've received a much greater understanding of Joseph Smith, the restoration and the scriptures, and Lord. My power to overcome sin has increased. My weaknesses have become strengths been remodeled. I say none of this to boast. Rather, I simply seek to declare the fruit born in my life. This blog has one of the results of that light and truth I've received. I have learned or learned to hear the voice of the Lord speaking to me, and I try to do what is asked. I believe these experiences and blessings are a direct result of other snuffers teaching me to seek the Lord for myself. Absolutely. Congratulations, Denver. That is a, that is one of the signs of the true prophet. An encouragement that those who seek him shall find. But there are things Denver teaches that are clearly false doctrine. Anyway, we're going to I'm gonna save this in notes so I don't lose my place, but there is a lot more here. I just simply don't have time to finish it. Oh, it's not that much. Well, it makes me deaf. Oh, it's a lot more than I can read. Uh, it's, i got to get going here in a minute. Well, let me look at this again. You know what? I'm going to do a marathon run, and I'm just going to get through it. So let me take a drink real quick. So we don't have to stop. All right. I'm going to finish this. 
again, we'll be in part seven tomorrow. Denver Steffer fits the prophetic pattern in every particular. Though he will not call himself a prophet, he boldly declares that he has spoken with the Lord face to face and has been given a message to declare. Yet in so doing, he never points to himself, only points to the Lord. See, a lot of people say, well, because you say that you're the second witness, you're pointing to yourself. But God told me to declare that boldly. So my witness and my experience with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and who I am are important to the redemption of Zion. But that's what God told me to declare. So that's what I do. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell people. It's a stumbling block, I know, but I, I'm told to declare it. So it invites all the things. Christ for themselves, he refuses to lead an organization, start a church, church, accept money, or even earn book pre- proceeds. He declares his message and went back to his regular life, awaiting further instruction from the Lord. Awesome. I didn't know that. I, I know he has an office in Sydney, but like I said, I've never met him. The opportunity was offered, I believe, passing the heavenly gift was God's offer of repentance to the LDS church. It arrived just as the fourth generation passed, and the window of opportunity opened again. But see, that's just not true either, because the, the curse started to be lifted, and even in 2003, right at the same time, when I saw the Father and the Son, Denver saw the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the beginning of the opening of the curse. Now, this this other uh, thing that happened with Eldridge G. Smith was also very important. But I don't understand where he was going to see that. 160 years from the death of Joseph Smith. That was the fourth generation. Anyway, it arrived just as the fourth generation passed, and the window of opportunity opened again. Never stopped it, published it, and then kept quiet. He did not seek to lead, displace church leaders, or to seek any title or position at all. He simply remained a faithful church member, served the young men in his ward. The book explains our history. Um, how we got where we are. This is talking about passing heavenly gift and the dire predicament of which we find ourselves. This is awesome because it was an indefinite book and lots of people picked it up and lots of numbers and it led to a lot of people being opened up. This is something I I did not understand before. Had the book been accepted and repentance made it possible as a church and as a people what was lost have been restored. Zion might have been built, but the message was rejected. But had the message rejected, every one of the church, about the first bulk stake, 370, the 12 and even in the first ones in the city, as is so often the case, the Lord goes in upon people to repentance, the message message was rejected and the messenger was cast out. The prophetic pattern held true just as it always has. And so the Lord has turned away from the LDS church. Absolutely. And guess what? In, in July 2013, God commanded me to sample the audiences of all the holy people. And it was done. Although at the time I did not know anything about Denver Stuffer at all. Um, in fact, I just I think I just started hearing about him a little bit actually later on that time. But 
and she's a daddy so afraid. She loves living with her. And, and I do too. I mean, I do see some things. That, anyway, uh, his work of, of restoration, or though his work of restoration continues, the Lord has indeed set his hand again to gather his people. Work is being done outside the church he once claimed as his own, just like John the Baptist. The rejection of his authorized messenger was a de facto rejection of him that he doesn't understand. But there have been messengers, not just one. Anyway, and the church will bear the unfortunate consequences in the years to come. Absolutely, during the desolation which is about to come upon this nation and the church. Awakening. Meanwhile, some Mormons are awakening, arising, and realizing all is not well. Some are beginning to seek the Lord themselves, recognizing the prophetic warnings in our scriptures actually apply to us. The people that read them, um, you know, anyway, many who awaken and repent are cast out of the LDS church as apostates. Absolutely. That's going on right now. Lots of people. Those who sit in the chief seats are threatened by people who seek the Lord themselves without need for moral leaders, or moral leaders, or the supposed keys that they hold. Anyway, it is telling that or it is telling that those who hold a little authority, as they suppose, will persecute those who believe in Jesus Christ, Joseph Smith, and the Reformation and will do so on the basis that these apostates will not declare that a man who has never prophesied is, in fact, a prophet. Such leaders ignore Scripture in favor of a secret administrative manual that you and I are not even allowed to read in the Church Handbook of Instructions. And this is all happening with increasing regular, regularity. The humble followers of Christ are being uh, systematically cast out of the Church that claims it is his. But this was prophesied to happen, that God would come and gather the wheat out from among the tares, and then the tares would be bound in bundles and burned. So this is all part of what was supposed to happen. Nevertheless, the awakening continues. All over the world, people are seeking and heeding the message God sent into the world by the first authorized messenger since Joseph Smith. No. God has authorized other messengers, not just Denver Snuffer. Fellowships are forming spirit, uh, spirit but they, they reject my, my testimony. You know, they reject Frederick's testimony. They, they don't, they, they, these people, they, they're still the blinders on. They're like, Denver, he's born, right? But that man who is called and appointed, who stretches forth his hand to steady the ark of God, will be destroyed. And this could be Denver's fate. Anyway, spiritual gifts are manifesting and angels are again visiting the earth. Some have met the Savior. Joseph's restoration continues. The possibility of Zion is, is with us again. And even at this moment, among a few courageous followers of Christ who have received his message, it is small, weak, and only sprouting. But the seed has been planted and put down roots. The Lord has set his hand again. The test you must pass. And now the world is on a trial. You are on trial. You've got to get this right if you want to survive the coming day that will burn as an oven. Joseph Smith, History 137. But see, there's still in Babylon. They're still in Salt Lake. They're still in, 
you know, they're not making their move to get out to where the desolation and the or the desolation is coming. They're like in Sodom still, and they're like, well, we're just going to stay in Sodom until it burns. Yeah, and it's good that they're they're doing the work, but come on, guys, figure it out. If you know that this that this that this destruction is coming, that will burn as an oven, don't you want to get out of where the burning is going to be? Discerning truth from error is the universal challenge of mankind. Satan seeks to deceive. Christ seeks to rescue false prophets and true prophets vie for your attention, and you must decide. Get it right. So you should hear the prophet and then go to God, right? And you may end up redeemed and in Zion. Get it right, and you may end up redeemed and in Zion. Get it wrong, and you most certainly will end up burned. It is up to you, but time is running out. You cannot abandon this responsibility or trust another to simply tell you what to do. You were sent here to make the choice. You must make it. And you know, to tell you the truth, I I would love to just follow a prophet and and God, but I, I would just love to follow and not have to do any of this stuff, right? Running a church is a pain in the butt. Having to be the leader of a bunch of sheep that wander, like cats, it's like herding cats. Ephraim is it's ridiculous. I would rather let somebody else do this job. I would rather let Denver do this job. I can't because I know what I've been given and I'm going to do what I have to do. But to tell you the truth, you know what my favorite thing to do is in the church? I don't like to be called to any position. I, I uh, suffered for many years from post-traumatic stress disorder. And it was really hard for me to actually get up in front of people and actually, you know, talk and all. And I'm good at it now. But my favorite position is I take the little chair in the class and I put it over on the wall against the side of the classroom where it's near the front so that I can see everybody and the teacher. And I sit there and I make comments and I teach. The teacher talks, and I study the scriptures, and I understand things, and I give my comments. And the spirit is strong, and people are edified. That's what I. That's what I want to do. That's all I want to do. I want to talk about the scriptures. I want to spread the gospel. I want to declare my witness of the Father and the Son. I don't want to be the leader. I would be more than happy if God would give that to somebody else. But I know what God has told me to do, and I'm going to be obedient. I recommend you follow Christ's advice about prophets and judge them by their fruits. I've already written extensively about the utter lack of prophetic fruits among those called prophets in the OBS Church. There's simply nothing by which to judge. On the other hand, here's a man who claims to have met the Lord face to face, face to face, claims to have delivered a message from him, but he still doesn't have any thus saith the Lord revelations. Denver doesn't. He doesn't. He says, well, God told me to tell you this, so I'm going to tell you this. But no written revelations. The message is before you. Awaiting your examination, this is exactly what the prophetic pattern teaches us to expect. 
and he doesn't have translations either. He doesn't have, but he does have some of it, you know, but he doesn't have all of it. And he still hasn't claimed to, that Jesus Christ, which he believes should restore the fullness. He, he doesn't claim to have seen the Father. He still doesn't have the fullness. And they don't even think that they've got the Melchizedek priesthood which they don't at this point, but, because they've been severed, but they don't know that they've been severed. They don't know about Daniel chapter 12. So you must judge the matter for yourself. Receive the message and take it to the Lord. Brother Snuffer gave 10 lectures designed to remind us of what Joseph gave the world. Joseph's interrupted restoration cannot be renewed until we first remember what we've already received. The lectures are long in printed form, comprising over 400 pages. The audio is up or is close to 30 hours. Sadly, some will simply decide it's too much of an effort to evaluate this message, and they'll turn away. But others will show the Lord they're willing to expend some effort to seek His Word. Which will you do? Here's the link. You can download 10 talks in audio or text form. And actually, we've gone over a lot of them in the past programs, so I'm not going to go over it. If you're Mormon, you you now find yourself in a surreal position of being an investigator. I told you about a man who has seen the Lord and produced a long book, purportedly to contain a message from God. But there's nothing new in it. It's just... It's just stuff that's already been said, but but he reveals a lot. I'm I'm just saying there's nothing new. I'm challenging you to read it and then pray and ask God if it's true. If you ask with an open heart and faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And if it is true, then the man who preceded or produced it is indeed a prophet, which he is. I believe that. In every sense, or true sense of the word, and the prophetic pattern continues. Now you know what the LDS investigators must confront when they're introduced to Joseph Smith in the Book of Mormon. The situation is the same. The challenge is now issued to you. Everything hinges on what you decide to do. And if you believe and teach Moroni's promise to others, here's your opportunity to do what you claim to believe. No matter how strange or unbelievable you might find the idea that God has spoken through Denver Snuffer, it is no more strange and unbelievable than Joseph Smith's story, and so we're right back where we started. If it happens again, if the Lord does indeed call and empower other voices crying in the wilderness in our day, would you recognize him and how? If you decide the correct path is to reject Denver Snuffer outright without investigation his message, investigating his message, you may be assured you will have done the same to Joseph Smith and have you lived in the day in that day, or Jesus Christ have you lived in his day? And that's that's exactly what most of these people do. They just completely reject it. They don't even look at it. Emmett. I don't care. Cover the screen. He keeps on putting this window up of his games and stuff. I don't even know. Anyway, um, if you decide the correct path is to read them, uh, this part, a word of testimony. I have read everything Denver Snuffer has written about the gospel at least twice. I've prayed and asked God whether 
whether what I've read is true and God has spoken to me by the power of the Holy Ghost that these things are indeed true. Christ does indeed vouch for and own these words. A day of rejoicing. And so you and I will have great cause to rejoice. The restoration of the gospel cut short by Joseph's death and diminished and diminished ever since has resumed in our day. God speaks again. The heavens are open. The light has returned. The long night of apostasy is drawing to a close. And marvelous work continues. Zion can yet come, and some may be spared the day of destruction. Aside from Christ's atonement, this is the most joyful, faithful, incredible message I can deliver. I mourn because I'm inadequate to deliver it. So I'll simply plead with you, find out for yourself, your eternal life depends upon it. Past generations have almost universally rejected true prophets and idolized false ones. Please don't make that error. Joseph Smith said, quote, the world has always mistook, mistook false prophets for true ones. And those who were sent of God, they considered to be false prophets. And hence they killed, stoned, punished, and imprisoned the true prophets. And these had to hide themselves in deserts and dens, caves and caves of the earth. And though the most honorable men of the earth, they banished them from their society as vagabonds, while they cherished, honored, and supported names, vagabonds, hypocrites, and imposters, and the basis of all men, teaching the prophet Joseph Smith, page 206. Quote, it was the more righteous part of the people who were saved, and it was they who received the prophets and stoned them not, and it was they who had not shed the blood of the saints who were spared. 35, chapter 10, verse 12. <sighs> Let's see here. All right, and then... Uh, Anyway, all right, so uh, I'll bring Ellen up and see if he has anything to say about this. He's been on hold for quite a while. Um, Ellen, are you there? Do you have any comments or questions? Ellen? Ellen? He's probably fell asleep again. All right, well, like I said before, you know, we're on Monday through Friday from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. We will finish this reading tomorrow, and the the next chapter, Manifesting the Gentle Affliction. I'll bring that up. Let's see. This is the conclusion and uh, hopefully it won't take the whole program. I uh, just want to give thanks to my wife for helping me uh, as long as she can, and to my son for watching the studio for me, even though he keeps putting the screen, covering the screen. <laughs> I saw him. And um, thank you for those that listened and uh Thank you for listening. I don't know what else to say. Um, I'm just going to end it with uh, a song tonight. And uh, take care, everyone. God bless. Goodbye. I thought that I was all alone.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.